time again little maniacs for scaring and sharing yes it's the podcast where we share spooky news and frightful views with each other and you about all things horror and i am here today with the illustriously gorgeously beautiful human being that graces my life at least (laughs) usually once a week jeremy the original sasquatch slim rusk and you are the graceful amazing cat-like I don't know. <laughs> the flame and scream queen himself, Brandy Joe Planbeck. The cat likes. Does that mean I'm like a pussy? Yes. <laughs> For whatever that means to you. And if you've never listened before, Jeremy and I love horror movies. We love to talk about them. And this podcast, we usually talk about news we've heard, things we've watched. And then in a typical episode, which this one is, we assign a movie to the other person that they've not seen before. We go away, we watch them, we come back, and we talk about them. Yes. And that's really it in a nutshell. So, Jeremy, it is 2024. It sure as hell is. The year of Overlord. <laughs> <laughs> I normally say the year of our Lord, but it just felt good to say the year of Overlord. Um, and so I'm still coming up with my top. I had to do a top six list for It's Only Podcast 666 episode. Go check it out. It is mm-hmm. so fun. Their episode is like three and a half hours long. It is delightful. They do six best new movies, six worst new movies, and then six best new to me movies, like movies that didn't necessarily come out this year, but that you watched and that um, that you enjoyed. And I had some of movies that they shared on their podcast on my lists and some movies that you gave me, Jeremy, on my list. Wow. So I did give them my top six of the year, but... There's a couple movies that have repeatedly, really one movie, I'll be honest, that has come up on multiple lists that I feel like I need to watch before I get my definitive top 10 list. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I have one left to watch, and I will, in a later episode, come back to that. But I love when we have this first episode of the new year to talk about our tops and bottoms with each other. And mm-hmm. I think in the past, of the, we've said like our tops and bottoms of the shows we've done on the podcast period but i think i I sort of wanted to do more like the top and bottom movies that we've shared with each other um although there are no rules i think you said you have something a little bit off of that beaten path that's fine um but like the some of the tops are going to be on my top 10 when i give that out which will hopefully be in a week or so um so yeah um, and not that people really care, but I'll say really quickly, of our like new releases that you and I went and watched together, the top three most listened to episodes, um, number one was Megan. No, I'm sorry. Number one was Infinity Pool. Number nice. two was Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. And number Whoa. three was Megan. And uh-huh. then of the new releases, we went and saw the three bottom, the bottom uh, coming in at number three. So the third yeah. less, whatever, was Knock at the Cabin. Second least listened to Five Nights at Freddy's, and the the least listened to was Thanksgiving, and those last two were sort of tardy talks. Like we yeah. spoke about them a little after they'd come out, so that probably is why. That's probably, but it. it's still like wild to me that Infinity Pool, like so many goddamn people, like uh, like almost a hundred more downloads 
than our previous episode. Wow. Than, that, than, than Winnie the Pooh. Like, so many people listen to that episode. It's wild. Infinity Pool is one of those movies, I think, that was so, like, heady and strange that people were like, what does this mean? I need to consume, like, all the uh, media I can find uh, about it, you know, to try and glean some more. Uh, uh, so, like, watching a lot of reviews or listening to a lot of reviews, I think that's what drives some of these movies is people just start looking up, like, what's any podcast talking about <laughs> this movie? I need to hear what everyone has to say about it to try and understand it. That tracks. Yeah. And of our episodes with that you and I share with each other, the third least listened to was Critters and Terrified. Second least was Hatching and Toxic Avenger 2. And then the least listened to episode was Tentacles and Slacks. And y'all, don't blame you. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> and our most listened to episodes of the movies we shared with, um, that, were, that were shared films and not new releases, coming in at number three was Them. Uh, they slash them and over. Nope, this is the one your brother gave us. Sorry, yep. them and Overlord. Yep. And coming in number two was Hell House LLC and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh huh. And the most listened to episode was Madman and Dark Harvest. Wow. Oh yeah, I, I bet you it's that Dark Harvest draws people in. They Maybe. wanted to hear about it because that was a sleeper like little hit out there on the internet. Yeah, I mean, definitely a contender for my top 10, I gotta say. Yeah. Uh, when we saw Back to the Future, the musical in New York City, the lead actor is the lead actor from Dark Harvest, the guy who plays Marty McFly. Cool. I know. I could see that. He seems like a Marty McFly type. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the show had some great spectacle, but yeah. like it was a little obnoxious. Him um, and the uh, Roger Bart, who played the Christopher Lloyd, played Doc. They yeah. just emulated. Oh, the movie the voices and the, like, because that's what the people come to see, right? They're coming to see Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. But that's like, you know, there was very yeah. little room for their own personalizations. It was just straight up copycat. But yeah. he did a great job. Yeah. So there you go. Those are our, um, you know, some some stats as far as what the people liked and don't like. And you never can tell. No, you never can. So let's get into our tops and bottoms of the films that were shared with us. Yeah, we, let's go. Let's do bottoms first. OK, let's do the bottoms. So do you what is go? your. Yeah, I'll go. So my you go first third. It's, it's so hard to say because I didn't count them. So I don't know if it's like number. 27 or whatever <laughs> yeah but my coming in at bottom th number three is mm -hmm. chud two but the mm -hmm. chuds okay I, I i thought of movies i would ever want to watch again and it is not <laughs> one sorry bud do you want to give your number three uh yeah let's do my number three and i think that's gonna be at the devil's door Yep, I knew that was going to be on your bottom. I felt uh -huh. that in my bones. Yep, you felt it, yep. And I don't blame you, because uh, a rewatch was pretty depressing. Uh-huh. Uh, my bottom number two is Toxic Avenger 2. Yeah, yeah. Another one that I just don't want to... Nope. I don't even want to think about it, really. And it's one, too, that I, I'm like... After re I remember like being like the original Toxic Avenger is great, and then the sequels are like there's some fun stuff there. But after rewatching two, uh, I'm like I remember this being so much funnier years ago. But I don't know now I'm totally soured. I think on the Toxic Avenger sequels after rewatching two, I'm like yeah, I don't think they're as none of them are as good as the first one. So nope, definitely not. 
And then my very, oh, sorry. Did you give, you give your next one, right? Oh, I'm going to give my number two, which is I'm going to go with they slash them. Yep. Because of the amount of, I don't know, promise behind that. And the fact that it turned out so disappointing, like that's, oh, come on. Yeah. And I hadn't watched that before. I just, it was sort of a rule breaker to give it to you. So I almost wanted to put it in there, but since it was my share to you, I did mm-hmm. not, but a hundred percent would have been on my bottom. Eh, nah doubt and then my least favorite that you gave to me this year was tentacles oh yeah just because it was such a goddamn slog it really was um yeah it's not it's not great people um and my number one this is the one where i was gonna bend the rules because technically this was a single uh shot if you will but you selected it because it tied into your birthday this past year. So I have to mention well, I know Winnie, what that is. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey as my number one, uh, because that is just, I think, the ultimate disappointment looking back on the year was yeah. the fact that it had so much potential. It was literally just a generic straight to video style slasher that happened to have a character. The killer looked like Winnie the Pooh. Like, that was it. They didn't do anything that warranted the fact that it was Winnie the Pooh. And therefore, I'm like, I see it popping up on streaming now, and I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to watch this again. Like, that's not not something I'm going to seek out. So I have to say, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey was my least favorite thing I think we consumed last year. Yep, I agree with you. So let's get to our tops. And my number three towards the top of the list is actually a share from your brother. Oh, okay, cool. And that's Overlord. Nice. Which was just wow. so good. So, yeah, it really yeah, was. It's not wasn't shared it? by you, but really, I mean, you're, it's your blood. So, yeah. It's your blood and honey. Yeah, it is. <laughs> blood that's of my, my blood, honey of my honey. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds creepy. That sounds weird. Yeah, it does. Okay, um, so me, huh? My number, my number three out of these, where was it? Terrified. Okay. That you shared with me, because that was just such a, such a treat. Such a cool little bar and film. Yeah, Yeah, and and, and it has stuck with me how cool it was, so. Mm -hmm. Some definitely creepy-ass fucking scenes. Yeah. My number two is Freaks. Nice. Very cool. Love Freaks so very much. I just think it's so fucking good. So I'm so glad I finally watched it in entirety. And I'm so glad you shared it with me. Yeah. And now uh, I keep, I was just looking at it at my local Barnes and Noble or looking for it, I should say, because Criterion, after we did the episode uh, towards the end of last year, uh, Criterion Collection put out. Uh, a Blu-ray of Freaks, oh. like a new restoration of it, uh, with a couple other, like, um, it's in a set with two other, uh, what, uh, what's his name? It's escaping me. Todd Browning, the director of Freaks. Okay. Two more of his, like, silent films are included on it, one of which I believe is The Unknown, I think was one oh, of them really? that's on that set. Yeah. Oh, so, so I wanted to get it, and I kept looking for it at my Barnes & Noble, but it's been sold out for a while, so I was like, damn it. Okay. All right. But yeah, my number two, and I think you'll appreciate this, is um, the killing of a sacred deer. Mm, fuck yes. Now, did you? I'll, I'll get to it later. But did you watch Saltburn? Nope, I haven't yet. But I've heard so much about it. People are either like freaking out that it's so like weird, or they just love it. But 
Um, yeah, I think Barry Keown is one to watch right now, and Killing of Sacred Deer is just such a like tour de force for him. So, yeah, it really is. And Saltburn's just such a natural progression with his creepiness. Yeah, but it is like I, I could see it, and I think it has been on some like top ten horror films just because it's just so close to it. Yeah, but yeah, it is not for the weak. It's like killing of a sacred deer. Like it, yeah. there's just some scenes that are just real disturbing in it. So, and ultimately, like he only had a cameo in it, uh, more or less, because he's literally in just like seconds of film, really. But Barry Keown played the Joker in the newest Batman movie, opposite Robert Pattinson. Um, oh. And it's like, come on, like give him a full movie as that character because he brings a creepiness that I think other actors have never. Uh, fully gotten to with the joker like they're always yeah. more they're always more on the criminal or you know like uh what we're used to seeing from mm-hmm. that character and barry keown could go in like a horror direction i think that they really like give him a whole movie <laughs> to be that character that would be crazy i would definitely be curious to watch that mm-hmm. all right am i number one that you shared with me is I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, wow. I'm so glad that that made the top of your list for shares because I love that movie and I feel like a lot of people don't and I don't get it. Like I watch it and it's so like, like I haven't seen people trash it, but most people are just sort of like, it was okay. And I'm like, really? It was so good. Do you know what I just realized I left off the list? What'd you leave off though? Oh no. At least four. (laughs) <laughs> oh, off the yep. <laughs> off the bottom, of course. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. I mean, all of those like bad B movie sequels you gave me, like except for Critters Two. I think Critters Two is like the exception to the rule. Ghoulies Two. No, but Critters Two I liked is what I'm saying. No, go- Ghoulies Two you liked. We haven't watched Critters Two yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tremors Two. Oh, Tremors too. Oh, that's right. what you mean. Okay. Which Tremors? That's what I thought you meant. They, they, yeah. they just are this. They live the yeah. same in my mind, even okay, though the yep. monsters are very different. <laughs> um, but Tremors too is the there exception. you go. But yeah, oh, I forgot about Ghoulies Four, and that was real rough. Yeah, yeah. It's that is the worst of the worst of Oof, that series. That is real bad. So <laughs> like Ghoulies Three is bad, but Ghoulies Four is even worse. Uh huh. Uh huh. What about you? What is your top? You're going to love this. And I bet you could maybe guess what it is, but it's going to be looking through. Wait, I I think I know what it is. Okay. Do you want me to say it? Next of Ken. It is. <laughs> you knew it. Next of Ken. That was just something else, man. It was so good. So good. That was my the top of my new to me movies on the yeah. my 666. Um And it's it's yeah, correspondence. it's it's definitely living in my brain now after i saw it uh it's just so good and you're like yeah why don't more people talk about this it's like i know it's like an australian giallo it's awesome i know i think just so much i mean i like that poster with the big hand but that thing that i think was on shutter for a while with that little girl on the ball that it's like that looks so fucking boring yeah and it's not selling the movie to you yeah exactly like it's so strange and cool and wild so yeah well that's awesome well it was a good year for sure i mean you Mm -hmm. gave me lots of crap sequels but that's what you like to do so yeah (laughs) and and i i do think at some point i will get to critters too 
Okay. That, that's one of the that's that's in the in the arguments of good sequels, you know, to be movies. Uh, Critters Two, I know, has a big fan base. So, yeah, I saw something about it recently, and I wondered, yeah. is it? It's still PG thirteen though. Boo! It is, but it's uh, it's gotten a lot more attention as he has become more of a cult figure. Mick Garris directed. Uh, critters too and so yeah as he's got his podcasts and doing his documentaries and stuff people have gone back and reevaluated a lot of his body of work which started in directing you know b-movie uh or like b-level sequels to horror properties so uh because he mick garris directed uh critters 2 and psycho 4 like really early in his career and i know both of those have gained their own cult followings so very cool yeah so, Jeremy, we haven't, like, really had a, I mean, we had Brett Wheat on our last episode, so it was all sort of focused on on him, but yeah. how were your holidays? Did you get some horror-centric gifts? Not a lot, uh, specifically horror-ish, um, but a couple cool things I got, uh, both from my brother, actually, uh, were a, um, there's a novel out now that is, uh, it's, so the original Godzilla, uh, and then its original sequel, Godzilla Raids Again, in Japan, like after the movies came out, novelizations were written uh, and released. And those were like bestsellers in Japan. Um, and they just did a translation to English for the first time ever uh, that came out, I think, like last year. So he got me that book that's uh, the the Japanese novel adaptations of the original Godzilla and its sequel Godzilla Raids again. So I'm very interested to read that um and see see how it is. So uh, but can I jump in though? Yeah, I yeah, know yeah. This is me a little all, all over the place, but I saw Godzilla. I don't know if you saw my letterbox rating. Oh yeah, you saw Godzilla <laughs> minus one. Yeah, and it is so goddamn fucking good. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm a little disappointed we didn't do it on the show now. I know, <laughs> like, I went know. To see God, it covered I, just, it. I did not even think I was going to see it. And then everyone just kept talking about it. And I was like, okay. Uh-huh. And, um, oh, fuck. It was so fucking good. Yeah, it's so good. And it for real, it's uh, it's on the short list for, uh, I know, at least one category at the Academy Awards. I think it's like visual effects. So, um. I'll be disappointed if it doesn't pop up a couple times at the Oscars. Yeah, I feel like it should. It's on so many top 10 lists. It's yes. just, it's all around, for sure, the best Godzilla movie I've seen, at least. Yeah, and, and I, I think yeah. most people, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely up there. Like, it's easily top five, like, best Godzilla movies ever. Oh, uh, it's so fucking good. Okay, continue. Yep. And then, um, this is really, like, tangential, like, barely even horror Jace, but um, it's just cool. Uh, my brother also got me a replica of the mask uh, that MF Doom used to wear. Uh, MF Doom being one of my favorite rappers. Uh, he hmm. passed away suddenly like a couple years ago. Um, but he was a really, you know, he was part of the underground, like artsy hip hop stuff. But his whole persona was he always wore this metal mask uh, that was designed. Uh, he, he designed his stage persona off of the Marvel character, the Marvel Comics character, Dr. Doom. Uh, so he went by MF Doom, wore a metal mask like Doctor Doom in the comics. Um, okay, and it's just really cool. My brother got me a like replica mask, but uh, his his style of hip hop is like r- really cool. And what set him apart was he would use tons of samples from like 
old like universal monster movies and cartoons saturday morning cartoons and stuff so the soundscape he would build was full of all these weird like little snippets and stuff uh audio from movies and cartoons and commercials and things that you're like what is that that sounds familiar so there's a lot of nostalgia built into his uh music and what is his name mf doom all right i'm just looking up the mask right now because i'm curious okay yeah it's almost like just like a metal upper faceplate, but it almost looks like wolf i mean um like fangs yeah coming down yeah tusks tusks yep it's pretty cool so uh i have like all these masks now and i need to like just create a display for them like i've ended up with a lot of like masks so i need to build like a display to put them all up or to put them to use every day, wear a different one to work, you know? Maybe I should just walk in wearing a different uh, crazy mask. So. <laughs> but yeah, those were the closest things, I think, to like horror interesting things we like. So. Nice. Joe got me a collection of De Palma t-shirts. I have, oh. I got a really cool dress to kill one, a Videodrome one, and a couple carry. Oh, nice. Because, you know, yeah. I love a graphic tee. Um, so that was really cool. And then some like horror magnets. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, I, I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, and then um, a friend of the podcast, the goth botanist herself, mm-hmm. who goth botanist, you may have to, if you had previously followed her on Letterboxd, you'll need to follow her again because goth botanist now is spelled just like you would spell goth and botanist put together. Uh-huh. Um, previously it was spelled uniquely but now it is spelled as you would find it in the dictionary so if you uh-huh. previously followed lauren you may need to follow her again but she sent you and i a really sweet uh krampus card and a patch that says horror movies and chill which is like the best so mm-hmm. thank you lauren that is so awesome you are lovely and mm-hmm. we appreciate it we love it it was so cool it was Fucking a pleasant little surprise yeah, I attached the patch to my butt. Like, I just sewed it onto my skin. <laughs> so it's just there forever. It's just there forever. Figure that's the best <laughs> way to do it, you know? Yeah, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> um, what else did you watch over the break, Jeremy? Thank God I'm obsessive with Letterboxd and put it all on Letterboxd. Um, uh, speaking of, I also just checked out my Letterboxd um, wrapped that they do uh i think you pay don't you so you can look at your stats anytime but i do for the people that are free users at the end of the year they send out the letterbox wrapped uh and because i I just have a free account and it tells me like who my most watched actor of last year was my most watched director um so i want to i want to get to that in a second because it's fun but uh of note i will say Let's look. I did watch Black Christmas. I know you saw it in a theater. I did at the ISC uh, Center. I thought it was going to be packed. There were like 10 people there. <laughs> but it was still really cool. That's awesome. I was able to, uh, on Christmas Eve, we were visiting my in-laws, and I was able to like squirrel myself away for a minute and watch Black Christmas, the original, on Christmas Eve, which was awesome. perfect. Um, and also, of course, on New Year's Eve, I got in my annual rewatch of New Year's Evil, uh, which is becoming my thing. I've decided now that that's what I would, do. if we were to ever have like live screenings, I would push to do a New Year's Eve party every year and do New Year's Evil. That's what I would want to uh, like promote. Awesome. Um, and uh, also... Sarah and I watched the first season of the Purge TV show. 
Oh, I started it. Uh, and we like, just finished, how was that? finished it. It is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say it's stellar, but if you're into the Purge like series, like we we just like the Purge as a property, so we'll watch like everything they do. Um, it's good. It's like a cheaper version of any of the movies where you can tell it didn't have a huge budget, so it feels like a scaled down version <laughs> of any one of the movies. Um, okay. But it does have some interesting plot lines. I would say the writing's not great, and the acting is very much like basic cable tv level like nothing spectacular going on there but it was fun it was fun it kept us watching we wanted to see how it all wrapped up because it does this thing where it's like a bunch of separate storylines that eventually Mm -hmm. intersect and you're sitting there like okay get to it i want to see how these all come together because they're so like uh, different from each other like how are they going to make this all intertwine so yeah i thought i thought by the end it was kind of kind of fun how they brought it all together nice yep very cool uh i tried to watch a few movies to get to my top 10 for it's only a podcast and just in general um but oh over the break i watched birth slash rebirth which is so good has um marin ireland we love her and judy reyes from scrubs and Mm. other things okay but it is sort of a a unique sort of frankenstyle frankenstyle Frankenstyle. Frankenstyle. But that's a new, I'm just going to say Frankenstyle. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I like that Frankenstyle. Frankenstyle sort of tale. Uh, definitely highly recommended, especially if you like strong female performances. Uh, I also watched Brooklyn 45, which I think you would be a big fan of. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. So, yeah, by the director from um, uh, We Are Still Here. Yeah. Um, and then I watched Sarah the Bone Woman. I think is how you pronounce it, uh, hmm. which has been on a lot of top 10 lists, a Spanish film. I believe it's Spanish. And let me look up and see actually where it's from. Um, but it has gotten a lot of buzz. It's on a lot of lists and definitely interesting. I don't think I loved it, uh, mm-hmm. but it, I, I thought it was well done. It just didn't mm-hmm. um, strongly connect with me, but definitely sort of a, metaphorical metaphor or it is from uh from mexico and peru is where it's country of origins okay so a little bit of foreign horror and yeah and then um while i was in new york we on christmas we saw saw the musical which was not great idea was so great it was just the three Mm. of them it was uh the, you know, the two guys in the white cell, and then there was a third person, which is a female performer, and she played John Kramer in multiple other roles. Mm. And God, it was just so so much wasted potential. Mm. And the best part about the whole ordeal was that right next to me was a dad, and right next to him was his like kid who was probably like 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And this guy, obviously, like it was like what the kid asked for for Christmas or some some bullshit. And um, oh my god. He was mortified because I mean, at one point, because it's essentially the saw like the first film. At one point, one of them's like digging in the toilet, and then it turns into this whole song about because essentially the two guys in the cell are like it's a very big gay love story. It's like the oh, overall okay. plot of the musical, and at, at that po- point, there's a whole song about like shit on me, and I want to drink your piss, and like he's rubbing like you know fake 
shit on his face i'm flinging it around and this dad was so mortified like so much of it when there were dick jokes and sex jokes and oh all wow. this gay content. okay and he yeah. wouldn't even look at this stage like he was just like looking at his lap completely utterly terrified mortified uh-huh. more so so that was great. Um, we were in the second row, which ended up being a little bit of a splatter zone that they don't really warn you about. So Ooh, okay. Joe got some blood on him, and he was none too pleased about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like if it would have been great, it probably would have been worth it. It just feels like all these horror parodies like tried to mimic Evil Dead. Like They're like, let's look at Evil Dead the musical and see what made that work and try to do the exact same thing. Yeah, and they're and like, obviously, it's fake blood everywhere. Let's do it. But they only did that at the end, and they oh, didn't even okay. like really go for it. Like it's like, oh. like coming off his foot. Like so, yeah, just wasted potential. But then we on Christmas night went to see Dracula: A Comedy of Terrors, which mm-hmm. is essentially Dracula told with five people, only a little more gay and mm. a, a lot more gay, to be honest. But it was awesome because they they play multiple characters. You would have absolutely fucking loved it. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, I, I think it really leans into the original Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker. Why did I say Bram Stoker? Bram Stoker could be like the dirty version. <laughs> yeah, Bram Stoker. Stoker yeah. Uh, I think this version was by Bram Stoker. Yeah. Uh, but it was so much fun. Like Joe yeah. sort of talked me into going, and I'm so glad I went because it was a blast, and it was so funny, and just so so good. So clever. Cool. It was lovely. You I've heard good, th- like uh, Sarah saw that you, you had a post about that one. And she was like, I want to see that because I've heard great things about that play. So, yeah, I hope yeah. to do it someday. That'd be cool. Yeah, because it's it's just so much fun. So, yeah, so that is essentially all the horror shit that I experienced in the last couple of weeks. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go see Swimming Pool tomorrow. Cool. So, or night swim. Great, night swim. Thank you. I have <laughs> night swim. Great, Which just, every time I see the yeah. trailer, I'm like, the movie about the haunted swimming pools. What <laughs> definitely what it looks like. So it is. <laughs> yeah. I know there's a short, but if it's anything like the Babadook, I don't want to watch it and know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll wait till afterwards to watch it. But I've heard the shorts much better. Okay. So okay. I'm surprised yeah. that Skin Rink wasn't on the bottom of your list. I wasn't impressed with skinamarink but you know i didn't absolutely uh dislike the experience <laughs> as opposed to the, the other things that made my bottom so yeah 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 i, get that. Yeah. I might who knows i might watch skinamarink again in the future just to see if i miss if it hits different on mm-hmm. another on another watch sometime so um yeah, yeah. ian on it's only podcast mentioned that there's a short that it's based on and i want to watch that because that, yeah. that sounds like what I would actually fucking enjoy. Yeah, what I would like is as a short film. Yeah. 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 Um, what horror, horror news. No- yeah. yeah, horror news. I was going to say it was coming fast and furious. Like while we were off, it felt like like I kept seeing nonstop articles like, oh, that's something of note. That's something of note. Uh, and now I've like forgotten almost everything. But the stuff that stuck with me is uh, Godzilla minus one, since we already talked about it, is getting a re-release in japan this month uh as godzilla minus one minus color so there's a special black and white edition that they're putting out to make it like more in style with the very original movie um and that looks cool and i hope they release it 
to the U.S. as well, or we can access it somehow. Because they said it wasn't a matter of they didn't just digitally go in and um, like swap the palette. It, mm. it, it, they had filmed like extra special physics or however they put that together to specifically create a new version of the movie that was in black cool. and white. So they actually went through and redid all the visual effects so they look good in black and white. Now, I never watched the trailer because I had to do a little research. I know we we talked about the title at one point, but it feels like so long ago. Yeah. I like, didn't really get what the fuck the title was about, so I had to do some research. And now I understand. But yeah. I feel like the title works, works much better, which I've seen at some places like this, but it's not like this on the poster. If it was Godzilla colon minus one otherwise it sounds like godzilla minus one like all together which yeah isn't really that doesn't really work for yeah no godzilla minus one yeah exactly and i think on the poster it's like on two separate lines so maybe that works but like if you just see it written out without a colon i I think that it it, that's what i was trying to absorb that in my head before i did some research to be like oh god what does this mean yep yep so so that's that was the thing that I pondered the most afterwards. I was like, what the fuck? I don't get it. <laughs> so I, I know, it. right? And that's what I wondered too when I first, and then you read it and you're like, oh, it does make sense. And it's you're one like, of those oh, things too, where I wonder if the actual like Japanese, like reading it in Japanese and Japanese characters, like there's always a disconnect in translating to English because they're, they're just such different languages. So I wonder mm-hmm. if it makes more sense to Japanese readers when they read that as opposed to just directly translating it to English. Yeah, because I don't even know if you were wanting to say it like if it had been an American movie and that was the message you were trying to get a- across. Like, because it's yeah, essentially like call it worse than where you're at already. <laughs> like, that's yeah. like I said, I'm like, is there a word for that? Is there even a yeah. couple words for that? Like, I don't even yeah. know how you would say, like, <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, I'm not even sure that. how you'd say it without saying like a sentence to describe yeah, what, for sure. what Which you're I trying love, to. I love that other languages have words for things that we don't yep. have a word for like i'd or, love that yeah or they can convey exact yeah and that always fast i took i actually now that you say that i took this communications class in college uh and that was this big thing we studied was i think the theory itself has a name but like the words in your language like dictate your ability to express your reality mm. uh more or less which is so fascinating where like certain cultures like do not have certain concepts because it it you don't have a word for it or like it, or it's a concept that you can tell this culture doesn't spend a lot of time trying to explain or engage with if they don't have just like a word for what that is. Like, uh, cause I think it, like, for example, I know some German and there are a lot of just like, it's like a single word in German and then to directly translate it in English requires you to like, like write a paragraph to explain like what that word means. So I think that's, that's fascinating. Baffling. Yeah. yeah. But that's really cool. Anyway, um, I'm trying to think. And then the other thing I saw was that there's finally news on Maxine, the third part of the X trilogy. Uh, and it's going to be like a giant tribute to Dario Argento. So that yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, it um, does. And they released some of the cast list. Uh, and some of the names in there are like. Uh, it's fascinating. It? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's in it. I was trying to remember. There was a couple additions that I was like, whoa. Oh, Kevin Bacon. Oh. Is in it. And uh, as well as uh, Giancarlo Esposito, um, who I'm not even sure he's ever done a horror movie before. Um, oh, no, I'm wrong. 
he was in Maximum Overdrive like a long time ago. But oh. uh, he's of note because he played the character Gus in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So he's become okay. a big name on TV as these awesome bad guys. But um, he, he's he's a very seasoned character actor. He he worked with Spike Lee a lot early in his career. So um, he's uh, I'm fascinated to see where they fit him into this story. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, the big pieces of news that I heard, um, uh, the Wolfman's remake is oh, yeah. by Lee Wanell, which is awesome because he did so good with Invisible Man. Yeah, and but there's a shakeup with the casting. Oh, what? Because I that. just read Christopher Abbott and Julia Garner. So what's the shakeup? Yeah, the, the shakeup was that originally Ryan Gosling. Oh, that's right. I did. And Christopher that Abbott article. has replaced him in the role of the Wolfman. So. Which now means my husband will not see it because he has hey. a very, whatever the a hard spot for Christopher Abbott, whatever the op- yeah. opposite of a, a soft spot. Soft spot is, <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, he hates him. Um, mm-hmm. But I love fucking Julia Garner so much. And Christopher Abbott, to me, is fine. I think he's cute. Yeah. I think he's good. I don't feel strongly one way or another. No, he's been good in some roles and not so great in others that I've mm-hmm. seen. So that's, I'm just yeah, kind of neutral about very him. Very good so. in Possessor. So. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's yeah. see how he does as a werewolf. And then, of course, that um, Steamboat Willie has come into the public domain. And Oh, that was the other thing. Yep. <laughs> Mickey's Mousetrap. Immediately, of course, they had this movie fucking made and they were just waiting. And, and then, then also hearing like Disney is like cracking down. Yep, Disney's getting pissed because immediately there was Mickey's Mousetrap and a second horror movie got announced too uh, that's called uh, I can't remember the name of it but it's something like Steamboat Willie but they changed the uh, the name a little bit so there's they're already like going going ham on uh, using uh, Steamboat Willie as a horror character. Because and I, what I read was where Winnie the Pooh got away with it was it was already a piece of literature, whereas Mickey Mouse has never been anything except for he started off with Steamboat Willie, but he yep. was not called Mickey Mouse, I nope. believe. So you can't use that yet. Yeah, you can't use that name. Uh, and in fact, I think there are special laws in place that like, because the whole thing is that a character will go into public domain after a certain number of years unless uh and i think disney can there's something they can do to keep mickey mouse in perpetuity like part mm-hmm. of the because it's it dc comics did it with like superman because technically superman should be in the public domain but they've okay. they've they've done something that protects that from ever happening there's like a legal maneuver you can do so i can't remember what that is yeah and it feels like anymore in this day and age that shouldn't be possible with things being created now because yeah I can get it for things a long time ago because they didn't have rules in place. And exactly. Laws in that's place what too, it is. Yeah. Because the creativity and art was just so fucking different than it is now. Yeah. I don't think anything made now will ever go into public domain because somebody is going to be the copyright holder because the laws are totally different. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's the most fascinating thing is it's going to be. I'm very curious to see where that all goes. Well, actually, I should say I know because that's a thing that happens with a lot of these obscure horror movies that uh, people are like, why isn't this on Blu-ray yet? And it's because nobody knows who owns it because there's some like legal fight going on behind huh. the scenes about okay. who the actual owner is because there's so many production companies that spring up, make some movies, then they go bankrupt and disappear. But they claim that they never lost the ownership of the things that they made and somebody else may have bought them in like a catalog. So yeah, it gets confusing. Um, okay. But I, 
I do know in the modern day, really one of the only ways that things go public domain or can anymore is if somebody fails to renew the copyright uh, after like a certain amount of time. So there are a handful of like really obscure movies. Probably nobody wants to claim ownership anymore <laughs> that eventually like, oh, it's hmm. public domain because nobody uh, updated any of the paperwork to own it. So, OK, yep. Fascinating. Yeah, it's weird. Copyright law is crazy. So, yeah. Well, Jeremy, anything else you'd like to share with us? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, just because we don't have any telegrams now doesn't mean we don't want any in the future. So write to us, scaringasharing at gmail.com or follow us on Insta, scaringasharing. All one word. That's right. Slide into those DMs. Those sweet, sweet DMs. Yeah, we need it. So this is a traditional episode. And so Jeremy and I will um, share some movies with each other. Jeremy, what are you going to give me? Uh, and I am going to give you, and I, it's weird. I like, I was sitting here trying to figure out, all right, new year, new batch of movies. Uh, I know at this point we just like innately understand what each other hasn't seen. So we don't need to use a list anymore, but I'm trying to like think of new stuff to do. And I don't know how I haven't done this movie yet. So I'm giving you Kronos. Oh, fun. So I know it's Cronenberg and I know that there's like, in my mind, it's like a little bug, but I don't know if it's like a metal bug. But it, I, it's got to be metaphorical, like a lot of his stuff, I feel. And I think it's like, I think that all ends with like a big craziness and like a swimming pool, if that's this one. And like a hotel, there's something with a pool and all these. So yeah, I think that there's like a bug that can infect you and it just keeps passing along almost like a zombie infection but when the bug gets in you you turn into a something different but i think it's all representative of something oh. more okay. psychological cool and i'm gonna give you a movie i don't know if i'm trying to figure out if it should be on my top 10 uh -huh. or 23 and that is influencer influencer i heard about this um oh and i don't really know much about it like i'm trying to think if i know a single image from this movie and i don't think i do other than i heard a lot of people or a lot of the horror press talked about it when it came out and i feel like this was pretty under the radar and pretty indie other than everyone said it's pretty good and then it kind of like came and went real fast in the news cycle uh and i know it's got something to do with social media of course and about uh the horrors of social media because now there's so many movies using like zoom and various you know whatever um so yeah i'm gonna say it's probably like a murder story about a influencer online that somebody's after them so Ooh. let's let's go with that all right, well, let's go watch them and then we'll come back and talk about them. Awesome. Don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Hey, we're back in the second half of this thing. Yeah, we're going to talk about these movies. So first up, Jeremy will talk about his scared share, shared scare, and then I'll talk about mine. So if you want to skip ahead in the podcast notes, but don't, or look in the podcast notes and you can see where it is, skip. I, I can't speak. Let's just, let's just move on. Let's do it. <laughs> with, with Kronos, 
from 1992, which was directed by Guillermo del Toro <laughs> and not yes, David Cronenberg. I know. I didn't realize it until halfway through, though. Keep going. Yeah. And uh, the description is it's got a really long one, so I'm just going to read part of this. Uh, it goes, faced with his own mortality, an ingenious alchemist tried to perfect an invention that would provide him with the key to eternal life. It was called the Kronos device. When he died more than 400 years later, he took the secrets of this remarkable device to the grave with him. Now an elderly antique dealer has found the hellish machine hidden in a statue and learns about its incredible powers. Yeah, so I, yeah, I 100% thought this was Shivers. You did. That's what I was going to say. You you totally described the plot of Shivers. <laughs> I, and I was like, okay. I mean, they both have like this bug sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie, because for a while I was like, like I could see it, it fit more in line with Cronenberg's the most recent one. What was it called? Um, uh, Crimes of the Future. Yes. It sort of had that kind of vibe. And as I was like, I literally didn't know until probably more than halfway through, I looked something up on Letterboxd to see where its rating was. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is Guillermo del Toro. I totally missed it. Yeah. In the opening credits. It must have said it. And I just missed it. Wasn't paying attention. Mm hmm. Uh, and I was just thinking, like, oh yeah, this is so different than lots of the other early Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. And but I could it still felt in line to me. Like I wasn't totally thrown off. But as soon as I realized that it was Del Toro, it made so much more sense. Yes. Like, especially the relationship with the little girl. Like you could just see, and this is like his first feature length, right? This is it. This is the debut feature film from like him. you can yeah. see so many other things. You can see because he often has like that sort of young uh, character like in pan's labyrinth the little girl and in devil's mm -hmm. backbone he can definitely write um i was gonna say children like he he can has some very strong children characters in his works and so many other things just like it's like oh it makes so much sense yeah it's kind of every time i revisit this i am amazed at how fully formed as a filmmaker he was like right from the get-go from the gut this has it like you just said i know he's very fond of exploring relationships between children and parents and or grandparents as is the case in this movie mm -hmm. um it's got insects that's a big motif of his uh, it's got clockwork devices. That's another motif he uses constantly. It's got Ron Perlman, who shows up yeah. all the time in his work. So it's all there from the start. Yeah, and it's just, it's such a cool little movie. It's very unique. You don't really know what it is until mm -hmm. way later in the movie. Oh, um, yeah. But, like, I, it's one of my, I don't know, I mean... Because the description doesn't really give it away. But essentially, yes. So this this antique stealer comes in contact with this really unique little device that sort of punctures his skin. And he comes to learn that it sort of gives long-lasting life. It also seems like a motif for like addiction because yes. he becomes somewhat addicted to its proper to what it does. The little device, it's this little golden bug-looking thing that eventually you look inside of it and there actually is a bug inside of it which mm -hmm. just creeps me the fuck out like i'm not i don't have some recently someone the idea of phobias came up and i couldn't mm -hmm. think of any like phobias i have i don't like bugs 
I don't think a lot of there are people who do like bugs, but I don't think I have a phobia of bugs. Like I will jump and sort of freak out if I see a large one that I didn't realize was there or if it's on me, like it can jolt me. But I wouldn't say I have a phobia, but I'm it's probably the closest I come to having a phobia with something. So the Mm -hmm. idea of these bugs and like that there's just this living bug inside of this thing is so creepy. Mm-hmm. But I, I like immediately the sort of idea of him being addicted to this little device. I think they call it a toy at some point. Mm-hmm. And I loved that, of course, because of my my motif of loving things that deal with addiction. Uh, but I loved the relationship between him and his granddaughter. Do you ever find out what happened to her dad? No. No, I they never. Yeah, they never say anything. It, it's just that relationship is what it is. She lives. And with he her talks about her dad at some point. Yep, and like tells a story about him. But I just love that. It's ju- it just is. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Yeah, I like movies that can just show you a because it's so common for many people. Like I knew people that were raised by their grandparents growing up, and so and like it's not an uncommon thing to happen. So I like when they show that in movies that the family units can be all sorts of different configurations um but not make it a big deal like it's not the point of the story is to explore like what happened to her uh her biological parents so totally and it's a christmas movie and a new year's movie Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why i thought of it going into the new year i was like oh yeah there's a there's a new year's eve scene in this one because i was trying to think of new year's like related horror movies so and i think we just talked about it you have not yet seen Saltburn. No. There is a scene that is very similar to Saltburn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's kind of cringe cringiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when it happened here, I'm like, oh my God, I literally just saw something very similar in Saltburn with different um different liquids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. But yeah, I love it. I love that it is also kind of reminded me of Hellraiser, like a less fucked up Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Although in some ways, like equally as fucked up, but yeah, I mean, for the longest time, it really did feel like Cronenberg to me. Like certain aspects just felt like a more matured Cronenberg. And not that his movies aren't mature, but they just have sort of a more of a B movie vibe. Those like early, yeah. earlier ones. And mm-hmm. this had a more um, art house find and sort yeah. of art house. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, when I found that, I was like, oh my God, I was so wrong. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, I, it was just so, it's, it's a really cool movie. Um, I love that you could see inside of the little device. I thought those scenes, when you saw like the sort of gears moving, that was so fucking cool. Just that device was so, so cool. Mm-hmm. I love yeah, it. I like, because at its core, you know, this is a, it's a vampire story. Like, really, or it's like a, it's a new take on those sorts of mythologies. Um, but I love, and that's something too, now that I think about it, redefining vampire mythos is another thing Guillermo has done uh, with his work because he wrote the novels, The Strain uh, trilogy, and then turned them into a TV series. And that's another series that's about vampires, but it does like a radical reinvention of like what a vampire is uh, in those. Uh, and this movie, similarly, like I like, but I also like that. I like when movies back away from because the vampire mythos is always so shrouded in like religious i mean it's here a little bit but it's way in the background 
And it's more focused on the idea like, oh, these vampires are created through like alchemy and some sort of strange science that um, I like that idea yeah. where you, you break it out of a spiritual element and put it in some sort of other other context where it's like some sort of forbidden knowledge has created, uh, turned you into this thing. Um, so I just find that fascinating to uh, take it, redo it. Uh, but a lot of the the tropes you understand are there. So. Yeah, because once this guy sort of gets bit by this little device, this little bug-looking thing, mm-hmm. he starts to, like, crave it more. And then at a certain point, someone gets a nosebleed, and he, you see that he sort of has this. And he also sees this piece of meat and sort of looks at it for a while. And mm-hmm. so you're like, oh, he's like, he needs to feed on blood. But, like, mm-hmm. I immediately didn't go to the idea of a vampire until the sunlight hits him. Yeah. And then it goes hardcore into it. The sunlight hits him and he sort of retracts. And then his granddaughter like makes him like a bed that looks like a coffin. <laughs> so yeah. That sort of all of a sudden gets real hardcore into the vampire thing. But what I thought was happening at first, because there's this guy looking for the device who sort of, you know, comes into it's sort of the the um antagonist throughout the piece. And he talks about how there's these rules for this particular device giving you long lasting life. And you don't mm-hmm. really know what those rules are for a while. Mm-hmm. And I thought, so at one point the, the grandfather, Jesus is looking for his granddaughter, Aurora, and y- you see her feet sticking out of mm-hmm. like underneath a blanket. And I thought it looked unnatural. I thought her feet looked too large to be a little girl's feet. Mm-hmm. And then it, shows her and it is her but i just thought that those don't look like little children feet those look like giant feet Uh and then a couple scenes later they're going to this party and his wife is talking about how her dress doesn't fit her anymore and it just fit so i thought everyone around him i thought their bodies were going to start morphing while he got younger i thought his wife was going to get i thought everyone was going to start getting bigger and i thought Mm -hmm. he was in a sort of like benjamin buttons or whatever like kind of go in reverse and mm-hmm. start younger and smaller. And I uh-huh. thought that's what was happening. Like 100%, because uh-huh. there were these two things sort of back to back that uh, to me very much spoke to the people around him and how their bodies were changing so rapidly. Something was happening. Yeah. yeah. So then I was like, oh, it's not that. But I thought, oh, that could, that, that could work. And I was like, oh, as soon as the wife said that, I'm like, oh, see, I was right about those shoes. Those, those were big feet. Uh-huh. Oh, girl. But I was wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought that that seemed like an interesting idea. And then, yeah, Ron Perlman's just so good at it. Yeah, and it's... I I was trying to track it down, because I remember once hearing a story... I think it was an interview with Ron Perlman talking about how he became involved with this movie, uh, which... Uh, which I couldn't find. I think it was on a podcast or something somewhere, and I'm like, oh, I can't remember where. But uh, apparently, Guillermo was a big fan of of Ron Perlman. Yeah. And that was like one of his choices. Like while he was writing this movie, he thought I need to get like an internationally recognized star uh, in this thing for it to stand a chance like out in the world and not just be, you know, a forgotten like Mexican production that nobody talked about. He wanted to get it internationally uh, into film festivals. So he was looking for an actor that he could uh, plug into that. Um, he was a big fan of Ron Perlman. Uh, this would be, cause I remember, I seem to remember in the interview, Ron said that he was in a, like a, a downward 
trend in his career at the moment. He wasn't because this was post Beauty and the Beast, uh, the TV show. So he was like, was he known. the Beast? He was the Beast. He was Vincent. Oh, wow. I didn't know that's, that. That's his first like that's his was big Linda thing Hamilton. That, that show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That show. That's what blew him up. That's what made him like a uh, a known uh, actor. But after he did the television show, as it used to be in the case, like if you were on TV for a long time, usually your movie career kind of dried up and that's what had happened to him. So he was looking for movies again uh, and he got this script with like a really nice like fan letter <laughs> written by this young Mexican filmmaker uh, who's saying how big a fan he was. And I'd really like for you to read this script and let me know what you think of it. Um, and he said he read it and was like totally blown away by it. And he's like, I got to go to Mexico and meet this guy and probably be in this movie. Uh, and so that's like how it all started. And apparently he tried to learn. Ron Perlman doesn't know Spanish. Right, uh, yeah. And he tried to learn Spanish for the role. Uh, but apparently it was so bad that they then rewrote the they reconceived the character as being an american expat living in mexico okay. so that anytime anytime he does do spanish it's intentionally supposed to be choppy and bad so that uh they could be like oh you're the nephew of this guy but you're an american that has to come like help him run his uh run his business so and I love so, his uncle, like, I mean, they've been looking for this device for some time, and they know it's, like, inside of this statue, but, like, they keep finding similar statues, and I love that they're just all hung up in that very white, like, because you have, like, the antique shop that just sort of has these, like, like, you'd imagine, sort of, like, browns and sort of, like, mm -hmm. these rich tones, and then it's sort of contrasted with the uncle and his place, which is like very sterile and white looking. And then there's all these statues hanging with like plastic over them. But I wondered like how, because they seem to like know that the device was in this one at the antique shop. And I don't understand how they, if they yeah. had all these different statues, how they knew that was the one, if it wasn't in there when they got it. I'm not sure. Uh, if the plot really because I, I now that you say that too i'm like i'm not exactly sure how they figured it out that that's the one um yeah, okay i didn't know if i had missed something and i, mean, I want to rewatch it i wonder there must be a detail in there or something like that like maybe it's the because i know distinctively that uh angel statue had a broken eye hole and i wonder if that's like oh, something yeah they, and he does at one point talk about that or comes back up yeah, I wonder if that's like that's supposed to be the detail they knew that it was broken uh, and Maybe. that must be the one. So um, I do think, too, like speaking of the characters and the naming of them. So our main character is named Jesus Greece, mm -hmm. um, which literally in in English would be Gray Jesus is what his name means, which I, I think is quite fitting. Mild spoilers, but, you know, he's a gray old man and he does die and come back. So uh, and uh, Ron Perlman's character is named Angel de la Guardia, which literally means guardian angel. And he takes care of his uncle. So it's like, oh, there's fun little puns in the names of the characters here. That's kind of cool. Is the name Jesus when it's translated like Jesse? Uh, Joshua. Oh, Joshua. Yeah, it's supposed Got to be because because. Well, we say Jesus, you know, Jesus, but it's it's a. Uh, I think it originally comes from here. We go theology school. It originally comes from Greek, and it's like the Greek translation of Joshua. So oh, okay. the the or original name is supposed to be Joshua. Thank you. I've I've wondered that, and I don't know why. I just always thought it was like Jesse. But mm -hmm. maybe if your name was Jesse, you would also go by Jesus. But that Jesus yeah. actually more means Joshua. 
And Jesse could be a variation off of all of these names, too. Off of all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So So there is a turning point in this movie. I mean, A, when you find out that the grandpa, Jesus, has sort of this thirst for blood. But then there's this turn with, like you mentioned, like him dying and sort of coming back from the dead. And then there's this whole sort of middle act with this, like, mortician who's, like, smoking cigarettes and Uh bananas. I don't love that. I mean, I appreciate that he is, like, a fleshed-out... That is just this tiny character, yet there's so much to him. But it sort of takes a very tonal shift for a good 10, 15 minutes that I don't love. It's like... Mm-hmm. It's like I was really loving it for a long time, and then there's this little chunk in the middle where I'm not a crazy fan about it, and then it goes back into sort of its final act where I get fully on board again, and I love the relationship between the grandpa and his granddaughter and how she's there for him, and I love that she only speaks like one word of dialogue in the whole thing. Yeah. And I love that he's like, this is going to be dangerous. And she's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she gets so excited about it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's sort of my trajectory with my ride. Like, I was like thinking it's Cronenberg, realizing I was wrong, that it's not, it's not Shivers, and that it's a much more serious movie. And then realizing it's Guillermo del Toro, and then also just taking these weird turns. But then I ultimately, in the end, reminded me of Annie, like the movie Annie. When mm. Annie's getting chased by Rooster and Punjab is there, like, and they're on top of this building, like, that they're on top of things. And it reminded me, like, I had flashbacks because I loved Annie so much as a kid, the movie. And so it sort of reminded me of Annie at the end, which got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And it takes it, some twists and turns, but it it's, yeah, it is a very well-made movie and I enjoyed it very much. You know, it's just, uh, it makes me want to go to Mexico City. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It just this is one of those movies where I watch it and I'm like, I want to walk in these locations and be in this place and see it. Like I just feel certain movies do that to me, where I like totally vibe with them. And I'm like, man, I want to be in that city. I want to walk around and see these things for myself. It's just so uh, real because it is, you know, filmed on location, really in Mexico City. And I'm like, oh, this I, I want to check this out someday. So and it. I think I read that it won multiple like Mexican Academy Awards, like whatever their award yeah. show is, and that it was their pick for their selection for the Oscars, but it wasn't nominated. Yeah, it was not nominated, but it won tons of awards at all kinds of film festivals. And, you know, just sort of it's like Guillermo was shot out of a cannon at that point where he just started getting offers. And then the career we know him for, you know, started like because of this movie. So. Yeah, it is a good little flick, though. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I like uh, it kind of. I don't know if he himself has referred to them as like a trilogy, but I know like the Criterion uh, collection has treated uh, his films. Uh, this one, Kronos, uh, The Devil's Backbone and then Pan's Labyrinth as mm. sort of a trilogy together. Um, and and I, I I guess if when you look at them, there are a lot of thematic things, I think, going on uh, between them where there are riffs on various sort of horror or fantasy tropes, uh, but dealing with mortality and family and deeper moral and, you know, uh, existential questions. So there you I go. I saw Devil's Backbone in an art house in Chicago with my dad when he came to visit me. And I need to see wow. it again because I didn't. 
Yeah. Have any idea who Del Toro was at the time and and what was yeah and what that movie was. I just knew it was like a horror movie of sorts. So yeah, yeah. I've only seen that one it. once ever too, and I remember being like feeling like it was good, but I need to revisit it because I don't think when I saw it I was as familiar with all of his other movies as I am now. Yeah. Um, and then Pan's Labyrinth, I remember seeing in the theater, uh, oh and and just being like blown away by it. So yeah, Joe and I saw it at the Main Art in Royal Oak. R.I.P. and got in the car and just both started crying. Oh yeah, oh, it's so because it is so, so heavy, so heartbreaking. Yeah, and so. beautiful. It is just so good. But yeah, I think the seeds for that are sown in this movie, of course. For sure. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy to think about. So yeah, I guess that's uh, that's Cronus, right? It sure the got... fuck is. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I. Chrono, like they don't go into it, but Chronos, I'm assuming they're referencing. That's the uh greek god of time Kronos. Uh, okay. so i'm assuming that's got to be the reference or or saturn if you prefer the roman names for these gods but he's the he's the god of time so i'm assuming that's of course what they're referencing in this little clockwork sort of thing that prolongs your life so oh it's not the clock at the new year's eve party the guy dressed as a clock maybe <laughs> Maybe he was Kronos. <laughs> Maybe he was. Maybe he's inside of the little mm-hmm. device. But yeah, so unless you got anything else to add, I think that's, I don't. That's Kronos. Uh, so out of five Kronos devices, how many do you give it? I'm going to give it four. Cool. Uh, I'm going four and a half. Oh my. Because um, I, I don't know. This time around, I was just so taken aback by how fully formed like we said his vision as a filmmaker is like right there like all of his fetishes and interests are in this movie from the jump and then just repeat for the rest of his career so uh yeah i just think that's something something special to celebrate heck yeah all right so there we have a scare of approval scare of approval we sure do buddy cool cool All right, well, let's move on to the flick I shared with you, which was Influencer. Oh, I have one more thing to say about the Kronos. About Kronos. So many of the posters, I mean, I love the Blu-ray or the Criterion Collection poster, but so many of them have a woman with that thing on her neck. And that sort of bugs me. Yeah, and I think that's like a deleted scene or something like that. Oh, really? So, yeah. I just don't like, because it's always on... The grandpa. So that yeah, exactly. Sort of they're, it's like yep. they're trying to make it look sexier than it is. Yeah, exactly. Or perhaps that was they did some promotional f- photos. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you never do know. But I meant to say that. So let's talk about influencer. And this is from last year. It was in contention to be on my top ten, mm. um, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it. So it is directed by Curtis David Harder. And the tagline is, be careful who you follow. And the description is, while struggling on a solo backpacking trip in Thailand, social media influencer Madison meets CW, not the TV station, who travels with ease and shows her a more uninhibited way of living. But CW's interest in her takes a darker turn. <laughs> so there you go. Um, influencer. So my journey with this one. <laughs> Tell me. was in the beginning like the setup i was sort of like okay interesting setup there 
But for a lot of this movie, I was like, this feels kind of like a basic thriller. Like, it's not too surprising, I guess. And any like the way it starts to present itself, uh, it feels like many other thrillers that have come before it. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, I, I felt like oh, this has kind of been done before. So I was just watching along. I was like, we got to cover it on the show. So I have to watch this whole movie. That's how I felt through like the first the first half, I'll say. But there's a turning point, like somewhere in the middle, it seemed to click over into this other territory where it became a much weirder movie than it was setting itself up to be in the first half. Uh, and I'm struggling to remember exactly where that point was, but it was like, I, I, I was just very surprised that the second half of the movie had some way more interesting, like filmmaking choices, like even just like editing and the way they shot and did things. Um, as I used to call it, the non-diegetic things, the, the actual like functional form of the film. It started doing some more uh, artistic things, I thought, and weirder choices that I uh, uh, appreciated a lot more. And I'm like, I wish this was here from the beginning. Like, I wish this was a weirder movie because the, the initial setup seems like basic, you know, this on a lower budget, this would be a lifetime movie, uh, this plot. So it's like, you know, where where did the these weirder impulses come from in the second half all of a sudden. And I liked where it wrapped up. Like I liked the ending. Once we got to that final act, uh, it totally bumped up my appreciation of the entire movie. Um, but I did want to say that first half was kind of rough. Uh, I went on letterboxd. I saw your husband's rating for this. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you did not love it. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm in line with him on this one, but then it changed in the second half. So I don't know why. Uh, why it feels like he made radically different choices as a filmmaker, like in the second half to make this even weirder than I, I don't know. But that was my journey. Didn't thought I wasn't going to like it. And then we got to the second half and I appreciated it more because it got weird. So now I can't remember. Have you seen single white female? No. Okay. But I'm familiar does, with it. So yeah, it feels very, it's that same sort of trope, right? Like these two females leads and one of mm -hmm. them is a little unhinged and sort of has a fascination with the other one and like what happens, right? Yep. Um, and it has a late title sequence, which I thought of you because typically yep. you're all on board for that. I, I do, like those. I do like it does have some twists and turns in it and it does feel fairly typical for a lot of it. I really like the two lead females, I would say, Cassandra Nod, who was so weirdly wasted in It's a Wonderful Knife. Like, she's mm -hmm. there, and then, like, we talked about on the show, like, then she just is, disappears from sort of the alternate universe with no explanation whatsoever. She's just not there anymore. Yeah. But I like her a lot. She's very a very subtle, I mean, for as much as sort of being the villain here. She is mm -hmm. like, has, like is fairly subtle in her overall, I don't know, uh, her acting and everything like that. But I, I like her a lot. She reminded me of like Aubrey Plaza, sort mm -hmm. of like as, and I guess that there's an another film that's sort of about an influencer called Ingrid Goes West that I've never seen that Audrey Plaza's in. Aubrey Plaza, sorry. Aubrey? Yeah. Aubrey. 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 Yeah. I wrote Audrey or it autocorrected and therefore I yeah. said it wrong when I was looking at my notes. Um, like it has that sort of initial shot, like that I sort of hate. It also remind me of Don't Breathe. Like you see this first shot, and then we sort of—I don't know what happens then. Like I don't know if we are going 
forward or backwards in time, like just mm-hmm. based on where you go in the movie, like you like you think, oh, because it doesn't tell you, which I appreciate. It's not like three days earlier or whatever, uh-huh. because I think you're supposed to think it's one thing, but then I don't know that you we really know where that is in time. Yes. Truly. Um, mm-hmm. Which I can appreciate, especially for initially thinking, oh, that's, oh, here's what we're doing with it. Uh, I do think it's gorgeous. Like, it makes mm-hmm. me want to go to Thailand. It is yeah. so beautifully shot for being, I would imagine, a low-budget film. Like, I don't know who this filmmaker is. Curtis mm-hmm. David Hart Harder. Oh, he did this movie Spiral, which I don't love. It's sort of a gay cult film. And he mm-hmm. produced... What keeps uh, what keeps you alive, which totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. This feels very similar to that film. Yes, it does. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Thematically, there's lots of things I think that are very similar. You could, like they, you could watch them as a double feature. Yeah, uh, absolutely for sure. So if you liked that movie, I would say watch this one definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I. I had some issues this time with the sound mixing, and I I don't remember that the first time. Did you Mm -hmm. watch it on Shudder? I did. Okay, see, I watched it on my little secret site, which, I mean, looks great and sounds great, but, like, there were so many times, especially when you sort of hear the lead, when you hear the Madison, the the influencer of it, perhaps the, the, the main influencer of the film... Oftentimes when she's speaking like over music, I could not hear her at all. Mm. Like I could hear that someone's talking, but did you have any issues with that whatsoever? No, no. Okay. So then there was just something weird with the sound mixing. And I was like, I cannot. And I knew it wasn't like important information or whatever, but I just, I, I was like, I can't fucking hear this to save the life of me. I wonder Um, if somebody uploaded it with like the surround sound mix or something on it. It must have been. Because I think the first time I watched it was on Shudder. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that, I was just curious if that, because I also had that sort of issue with the last film with Elder Island. Like Mm -hmm. when I watched it off of YouTube, I also found the sound mixing really difficult there. I'm like, am I just getting old? Like what's happening here? (laughs) So, yeah, but I really like the surprises in this. I, they sort of caught me by surprise. Yeah. Which is what they should do. Mm-hmm. And I liked the lead performances. I liked that I didn't hate Madison as much as I feel like there have been a string of horror thrillers about influencers. And normally I, you're supposed to hate the influencer in them. Mm-hmm. And or the influencer is sort of like the, the baddie. And yeah. I liked her here. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that th- that was the one thing, though, was I don't think this movie, for some reason, I, I had a feeling it was going to do something, some kind of commentary about influencers or whatever, but it didn't really. Or, you know, what it did was sort of surface level, nothing too, you know, deep or hard hitting or psychological there. So I feel like that was maybe a missed opportunity. But ultimately, like how this movie wraps up, I, I was like, well, I guess it wasn't about that anyway. It was just a story uh, on one level, and I'm satisfied with how it ended. So, yeah, I mean, I think at one point, CW talks about how if in certain influencers like just disappeared, no one would like really know. Yeah, and that sort of goes into that a little bit. But I don't think that is like the main yeah, that's not really the theme. point. Yeah, exactly. Necessarily, so. but maybe like a little bit. Um, but yeah, I I think the end of this movie fucking sticks the landing, and I I love the ending. I think the ending is so good. Yeah, the ending is awesome. I love the it way it wraps awesome. up. Yeah, 
I think that there's lots of really great choices there at the end that that I just sort of um, sell it for me, truly. But that being said, I don't think I will include it in my top 10. <laughs> as much mm-hmm. as I enjoyed it the second time around, I didn't. My rating stays the same. I'm not lowering it or raising it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of staying exactly where I had it the first time, which is, oh, this was a lot better than I thought it was going to be based on what I knew of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but not not particularly groundbreaking in any way. Yeah. And like I said, for me, it was like the uneven where I felt like initially it feels sort of not mediocre, but like a lot of stuff I'd seen before uh, the directions it was taking. It just felt pretty derivative. Um, but then it started to make its own identity especially in the second half um because somewhere in there i'm trying to remember there was a there was a a sequence that i watched that was sort of and now i can't even place it anymore but i just remember thinking like that's unusual that's like getting a little bit like david lynchian with it like it was sort of uh felt like non-linear and just strange like the way they edited some of the scenes together especially as that starts to seep in in the second half of the movie then i started to appreciate it more as it's its own uh its own piece with its own identity yeah 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 mm-hmm. all right well i don't know that i have anything more to say about it do you no it's a it's kind of a I think it was the title. I think calling it influencer, that's such a loaded word that feels like there's a lot culturally around it these days that I was thinking it would be some deeper thing about culture and like right now uh, than it really was. So I think that's what set me up in that direction thinking it would be. But um, no, it's kind of a straightforward, simpler, simple thriller. And if you're into that, uh, as far as the substance of the story goes, if you're into that, I say check it out. So yeah, if you like your ladies a little bit um on the wild side this is uh this is Mm -hmm. like for you i will say i think the best scene is a a scene earlier on that takes place on a beach like i Mm -hmm. love that scene like Mm -hmm. i just think that it's like very well executed and lots of nice setup for later and such and i i just I, i dig it and then there's some circular things in the story that i liked too where like there's a scene in a bar that repeats itself later Mm-hmm. Uh, in in a sort of different way, it comes back, but with the same a same character. Like I, I don't know, I like when things repeat. Uh, it sort of have like a mirror image uh, to them. I, I like that sort of yeah. design for a story. So sort of secular. Yes, secular. Yeah. Is that the right word? Secular. Cyclical. Cyclical. I was like, why am I saying this? It doesn't circular or cyclical. Yeah. Yep. Same. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, out of five deep fake videos, mm-hmm. how many do you give influencer? I give it a solid three. All right, and I give it a three and a half. Mm. And still a scare of approval. Scare of approval. That's right. Cool. Double fisted scare of approval, baby. I like that. That's our first. regular i was gonna say it normal but nothing we do is normal so (laughs) it's our first like regular format episode of the year and uh yeah yeah Yeah. air of approvals all around so i like that's fucking right all right well good times had by all yeah and please write to us let us know what you think of these flicks and what you're watching and what you want us to watch and all that jazz yeah tell us 
scaringasharing at gmail.com or follow us on Insta, scaringasharing. What's that? Word. <laughs> it was so low, I couldn't even hear it. <laughs> yes, I love it. Yes, yes. And um, remember, they're coming to get you, Barbara. It's in the trees. It's coming. I keep watching and talking about scary movies because scaring is sharing, my dudes. Bye. Scaring is sharing. Scaring is sharing. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.